Hello and welcome to the Law Life Balance podcast with me, your host, Caitlin McPhee. The Law Life Balance podcast is here to help drive much needed change in the legal industry. We all know that lawyer well-being is at an all-time low and mental well-being is a particular concern. Sadly, one in 10 lawyers under 30 globally are experiencing thoughts of suicide and that is just not okay. But all is not lost. There are so many incredible people out there fighting to make the legal industry a happier and more sustainable place to work. And it is my mission to track them down and interrogate them on this podcast. So in season one, I'm speaking to thought leaders in the legal mental wellbeing space about what we can do to make lawyers' lives that little bit, or even a lot, better. Sometimes we we need that wake-up call in that moment, and we have to get to the point where, like, I don't want to live with this pain, and so therefore I am going to take control and I am going to shift and change. But then once you've developed that, self-awareness and you're like wow look how how far I've come and how empowered I feel as a result of doing this work then I think it almost becomes an addiction in some ways to like grow and evolve and, and, and constantly be learning and I think that's the beauty of life as well really. Hi everybody and welcome back to episode 15 of the Law Life Balance podcast. This week, I'm joined by the fantastic Charlotte Smith, who some of you might also know as the founder of The Limitless Lawyer. After an impressive seven-year career at a top boutique law firm in the UK, winning a prestigious 30 Under 30 award and receiving an offer of partnership all before that big 3-0 date, Charlotte had an obviously impressive legal career. But when her husband received a job offer to move to California, Charlotte had to make that really difficult decision to take partnership or to move to California with him. And she chose the latter, which enabled her to pursue her alternative dream of helping other lawyers ignite their self-belief and reach their limitless potential. I really loved recording this episode with Charlotte because it was so great to dive into a conversation about our respective experiences coaching lawyers the things that we see as commonalities with them, some of the differences that she perceives working with lawyers on a global basis, but also some of the things which are true for all lawyers globally. And so many other things that I probably can't go into in this introduction because I would ruin the episode for you. All I will do is say, if you're interested in working out how you can become the best version of yourself, and particularly as it pertains to your success as a lawyer, then this is the episode for you. I hope you enjoy it. Here is Charlotte. Charlotte, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, you're so welcome. Um, So some people might know you, but I imagine a lot of my listeners won't. So it'd be great to start with a bit of an introduction. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my name, Charlotte Smith, and I am the founder of a business called Limitless Lawyer, which is a coaching and consulting company for lawyers and law firms and really what I focus on is leadership and performance coaching for lawyers and 
as you can tell from my accent, I'm from the UK, (laughs) but I actually live in Silicon Valley, California now. And I moved out here seven years ago. And I'm so lucky to be able to support lawyers around the globe. I am happy to say that I have had clients in most continents in in the world, which is really cool and something that I pride myself on. So um, that's a little bit about me, my background. I practiced as a lawyer for seven years before moving out to the US. I was an employment lawyer and my clients were um, travel and aviation sector businesses. So the likes of Expedia, Hilton Hotels, British Airways. Um, Yeah, so that's a a short kind of version of me. (laughs) Potted history. I mean, and that is an epic achievement, right? To have set up a company that enables you to now support lawyers globally. Because I think it's something that I've seen is that there can be quite a difference in how we approach lawyer well-being in particular in different countries. And obviously there being different jurisdictions and different rules and different cultures that can lead to lots of different individuals experiencing different things. What's that been like for you working with globally lawyers? Um, Have you noticed any differences or is it much the same? So I think it's it's really interesting because you're absolutely right. There are a lot of differences, but there are also a lot of similarities as well. So let me just kind of dive into that for a, a, a little moment. Um, I kind of feel like the challenges that lawyers face when it comes to, for example, leadership, being able to innovate um, and even some of the mindset areas like the inner critic struggling with perfectionism and so on, they seem to be pretty universal. Mm. Um, Yet there are subtle kind of cultural differences. I have a client in Saudi Arabia. So there's obviously cultural differences that apply working with a a woman client in Mm. Saudi Arabia. versus maybe what that would look like in in the UK or the US. I've also noticed actually some real differences when it comes to the working practices of of lawyers in the US versus the UK and across Europe. Um, I was an employment lawyer, as I mentioned in the past, and the US is very limited actually when it comes to um and and prior to COVID like the ability for flexible working and Mm. part-time opportunities very limited annual leave maternity and paternity and Silicon Valley is interesting because there are companies like Netflix and Google I've worked with lawyers that that work at those organizations and they have unlimited annual leave and so on however um what happens is that very rarely do individuals actually take paid time off in the volume that is actually allocated to them and and that really is a cultural thing that I've noticed versus in the UK I know I used to typically take at least a week or two off you know to go on a summer holiday Mm. a winter holiday and I would make use of that and I think that that's very common so there are differences 
Um, but then there are a lot of commonalities as well. So mm-hmm. I think it ultimately kind of depends on what lens and perspective you um, take into kind of helping them navigate through a particular ch- challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, as a coach, you know, that's your role is to support them through those challenges. And how do you find it personally dealing with these different things? What makes it possible for you to help so many different people with different challenges, let's say? I think it really comes down to being able to see someone, to hear someone, to really listen and let go of any preconceived ideas and notions that you might have to let go of of judgment um, and binary thinking. And I take my clients through this great energy assessment at the beginning of um, my process when working with them. And it helps us to identify and it gives us data points around how a particular individual perceives challenges situations the world at any given time Mm. and one thing that I see being really common with lawyers and I've certainly worked through this myself is we can view the world in this kind of right or wrong good or bad um, binary kind of way of thinking and I think that I guess the law maybe requires us to think like that sometimes, but then we can kind of take that into um, perhaps how we lead or how we show up in social situations. And that can really limit us. So um, by starting to let go of judgment, we can really free ourselves and we can actually become better leaders Mm. as well and better lawyers alongside that. Mm, absolutely and obviously you know you were a lawyer before you decided to pursue this alternative career and so I think it's fair to assume that you've been on your own personal journey with all of these things I wondered whether you'd mind sharing a bit about you know what was your experience firstly being a lawyer and then what were some of those roadblocks that you hit that you had to overcome what was that personal journey like for you? Yeah, and I, I guess like kind of the, just going back to, to the last question as well, um, I was lucky enough at the beginning of my legal career to do um, an international internship with Baker and McKenzie. And so I spent time in their London offices, but then I also got to spend time in Jakarta, Indonesia, working mm-hmm. in their offices at Jakarta Stock Exchange. And it was an incredible experience. And I think that that got me the the travel bug and being interested in working with different cultures. I spent um, time backpacking around Southeast Asia as a lot of um, individuals do. And so Mm -hmm. I think those experiences have kind of dictated my interest in working with people globally and and getting to know people that are, are living all around the world so um so yeah just to kind of share my legal journey and, and some of the challenges that, that I faced um I mean so did the kind of whole like internship did spent time at the BBC as well that was that was great what I realized and I think there was probably less in-house jobs when um and this was kind of circa 2006 2007 um so I knew that 
I would end up in private practice. I was interested in practicing in a niche area of law. Um, And I also knew that there was a part of me that was quite like individualist Mm -hmm. or was ready to kind of tread my own path. And so I think that I identified early on that working in a really big, you know, international law firm perhaps wasn't the right path for me. And so I landed working at um, a boutique firm specializing in the travel and aviation sector. And I quickly excelled. The great thing about that firm was that they gave junior lawyers the ability to network and build their own book of business from such a young age. Mm. And you were empowered to do that. So that was great. You could make mistakes. (laughs) And um, so all of that, I think, helped you to grow and develop more quickly than perhaps if I was working in a, in a different environment where you didn't necessarily get that client face time. Some of the challenges that I experienced as well um, would have been related to confidence, having that like imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, I was one of the first to go to university out of my family. Um, I went you know through the the state schools and I I don't know if there was any kind of um, confidence issues that came from that um from not going to you know Oxford and Cambridge and those kind of um universities so I think you know some of that is like social and just you know your upbringing some of it I think at a deeper level it's just that's that sense of being worthy being good enough Mm. um Yet, I was able to succeed. I quickly progressed to associate. And then before 30, I was the youngest person in the firm to be offered partnership. Um, So was able to progress, but there was always that niggle there. Mm -hmm. Am I good enough? I need to do better. I need to perform better. And I think that that was my deepest challenge. Never feeling like I was quite going fast enough Mm. and that I was successful enough and so if you've heard the phrase um, being a success junkie, mm-hmm. <laughs> I quite like that. Um, yeah. And it's almost like having these accomplishments, but yeah, never really being satisfied or being yeah. able to kind of validate that. So I think that was something that I really was able to work through. Yeah. And that's what I help my clients with now. <laughs> yeah. And that's really common, right? Is whatever that core blockage is that you have, no matter how much you consciously strive towards that goal, you're ultimately never going to feel like you've got there if you, if you haven't dealt with the thing that's causing you to not feel there in the first place. So that can be with feeling worthy, confident. It can be with feeling wealthy or money mindset, anything that comes up along the way. I think, you know, every single person in the world has something like that to deal with. So how did you deal with that? How did you reprocess that and get to a point where that's no longer a a challenge for you in the same way? So so it's interesting for me, what happened was um, I left the law and I was very idealistic. Maybe some might say naive. I don't know if I would call myself that, but (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm going to move to America. I'm going to move to Silicon Valley and I'll just create this business. 
and I'll fly back and forth between <laughs> the US and the UK and I'll be able to see all of my friends. Like I had mm-hmm. this like vision and I was like, okay, let's cool. Let's go for it. Now, what actually happened was, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was successful in building a business. However, it was really hard. Um, and even though I made like certain financial targets, I was earning as much as what I was earning as a lawyer in Leeds. I wasn't, I hadn't created this business in, in the, at the scale that I had kind of envisioned and imagined. I then became pregnant with my daughter, who is now four. And so that made it even more difficult mm. with morning sickness and planning <laughs> for the future and how is this all going to fit together put a lot of pressure on myself and really that what that led to is me just feeling like a complete failure mm. I was trying to create something but actually it was probably very impractical for me mm. to be able to achieve that when I moved to the U.S. I had no contacts no friendship groups you know it's so anyway that 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 volume of pressure that I put on myself like led to me essentially thinking I have failed. I was stupid to leave my legal career. Um, and really I was in quite a pickle. Mm. <laughs> so what I did was, um, you know, and I, and I think that this is really true. I don't know where you, you sit on this, but sometimes we have to kind of hit our low points and our rock bottom, so to speak, yep. to then create that shift. Yeah. And, and that's very much what happened to me. I hit this point of just feeling incredibly stuck and low. And then I was like, okay, Charlotte, I can't exist like this anymore. And I decided to work with a coach. Mm. And that's really where I started to figure out what my zone of genius is. And there's, Mm -hmm. there's lots of amazing teachings around zone of genius, but really that's where your talents Mm-hmm. And your passions come together. And so once I was able to identify what that was, then it was a I was able to kind of start figuring out, okay, what does this future career look like for me? Mm. Amazing. Yeah. I agree with you on the needing to hit a low point before necessarily being ready to pursue great change. I do think that once that's happened, you don't have to go back there again in order to be ready to go through more transformation. It's almost like you hit rock bottom, you realize something has to happen. You then learn it is possible to change and then you carry on the work. So for anyone thinking, oh God, I'm going to have to hit the bottom again and again and again in order to, you know, heal myself. That's definitely not the case for me. And it seems like it's not for you either. Absolutely. I think that's such a good point. Sometimes we we need that wake up call in that moment Mm. and we have to get to the point where like, I don't want to live with this pain. And so therefore I am going to take control and I am going to shift and change. But then once you've developed that self-awareness and you're like, wow, look how how far I've come and how empowered I feel as a result of doing this work, then I think it almost becomes an addiction in some ways to like grow and evolve and and, and constantly be learning. And Mm. 
I think that's the beauty of life as well, really. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the mistakes that we make are all part of that learning too. I think that's something that a lot of lawyers really struggle with is, you know, it's a, it's an environment which is fast paced, competitive, perfectionism is rewarded and mistakes can be really costly. So it can be very difficult for lawyers in particular to get to this point of understanding that mistakes are actually vital to learning and growing. And we have to learn to embrace that. Is that something that you see people struggling with? Absolutely. um, I've worked with individuals that really struggle from procrastination as a result of perfectionism Mm. and finding it very difficult to make decisions out of fear of getting it wrong but at an individual level that can really stunt your your growth and your ability to a progress within a firm b serve your client in the right way Mm -hmm. but from a a leadership and management standpoint as well um if that is what you are expecting from your um your team then that can become really problematic as well. And it can result, one of the byproducts can mean that you actually start to lose your team mm. because um, the the obligations and the pressures become too much. And so mm-hmm. you can start to actually have really high attrition rates and so on. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Yeah. So let's talk about this leadership point a bit more because I think that's something that you know is quite topical at the moment what do you think makes a really good leader you know what I would actually say that I think there are lots of different types of Mm. of great leaders and at the core of it is authenticity Mm -hmm. at the core of it is self-belief yeah and then for me, it has that kind of ability to listen, ability to empathize mm. um, and to really kind of mentor and guide rather than being dictatorial. But I think we all have our own unique leadership style mm. and there's no one perfect way. And I think that that's, that's the wonderful thing, which perhaps hasn't necessarily been recognized um, I was earlier looking at some diversity statistics for um, barristers chambers in, in the UK. And what I really saw on this report was predominantly um, leadership. They were white males. Um, and, and that's really telling across the legal profession internationally as well, by the way, mm. Um is a huge problem in the US and there's a really great um, diversity um, professional, Alexis Robertson, who works at Foley and Lardner, um, which is a Chicago-based law firm. And she kind of ran the statistics, ran the numbers and there's actually um, been more black presidents of the United States than equity partners in American law firms. So like when you actually run the percentages and the numbers, that's what the statistics show. And it's, it's, it's a real problem. And, and I guess that is, that comes from like this mindset of, uh, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many reasons where that comes from, but mm. um, leaders have to look and think like me. And mm. so we don't recruit from different 
populations, different individuals. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's definitely something that rings true. I think it's often something that I think a lot of people can fall into the trap when they're stuck in ego of looking for like. So, you know, like attracts like, and they're looking for a version of themselves rather than understanding that actually one of the greatest things that we can have is diversity of opinion around a table, Mm -hmm. lots of different viewpoints that then mean that you get to a result that's going to work for the majority rather than work for you. But I loved what you said about, you know, a leader can be completely different from the next, but I do think there are some of those key traits that you talked about. And I would completely agree with you with that authenticity which is linked to vulnerability isn't it there's a huge Mm. point around I think leaders being confident to speak up and not appear perfect all the time and not pretend that they don't make mistakes because they do because a leader opening up and saying well actually I'm having a hard time today or I've made this big mistake makes everybody else feel like that little bit more human and able to be their full authentic selves at work um so what do you think are some of the things that lawyers can do in order to thrive in in this environment that we talked about earlier so you know with this perfectionism this fear of making mistakes this competition between each other what are some of the things that lawyers can do to give them the best chance of success so the first phrase that comes to mind when you ask this question is is actually going inwards Mm. And it's self-awareness. And, and, and I could come up with plenty of um, suggestions, examples when it comes to leadership and management and, and, and so on. But really, I think that the answer lies within and it's starting to build your own power and your own confidence. And when you can do that and start to say no, mm-hmm. start to recognize, okay, perfection is impossible <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes it's actually impossible. Maybe, and, and I think that the, it, it's being able to like understand and identify, okay, this task requires, like this court brief requ- requires it to be 100%. And so therefore I'm going to make sure that, know a colleague checks this for me before it goes out or whatever that kind of um, process looks like there are some instances in the law where we do require as close to perfection as um possible that said there are other instances this slide deck for this presentation that i'm doing maybe it doesn't need to be a hundred percent perfectly polished and um designed taking it from 80% to 100% is really just going to slow me down and that's wasted hours that I could be allocating elsewhere. Mm. Um, So recognizing the instances where 80% is good enough. Yeah, I love that because I think this is a thing, right? In some ways you can't get away from things needing to be, as you said, as perfectly as perfect as possible although maybe like as perfect as humanly possible because we have to accept that we're human and we're not machines but that point around I I like that 80 percent you know and that difference between 80 and 100 is really just going to be stuff that probably people won't notice and that's going to take a load more time that you don't need to spend to get the job done there are times when that is perfectly okay and I think 
what's really challenging is I think it's easier for seniors to do that. I don't know that it's so easy for juniors to do that. And you mentioned earlier as well, you know, saying no and setting boundaries. That's something juniors really struggle with. How do you think it could be made easier for juniors to do that? Obviously, there's an element of personal responsibility of juniors figuring Mm -hmm. out how. But I do think there's also something about the environment um, that they're in being more conducive to them doing that. So what would be like a perfect solution to juniors being able to do that? And let me just say, for the most part, it can be absolutely awful being Mm. a junior. It it really can. It really can. Um, Because you don't feel like you have control. You want to keep your job you want to Mm -hmm. succeed you're looking to the future like so there's all of this pressure that you're placing on yourself um and it's really difficult to navigate because you don't feel like you have that sense of autonomy um and control so that is really difficult and I think we can look at this from a couple of angles so really my perspective is that shifts and changes like at a cultural level have to come from leadership Mm. And quite frankly, there are organizations out there that, you know, right now, hey, we've we've been through COVID and we've had the most profitable year possible. There's no problems here. Yeah. Let's continue to go in the same way. And that perspective is not going to shift and change. And, um, you know, Dan Kane with the O-Shape Lawyer Initiative, they're really um, talking about how in-house can Play, place pressure mm. on private practice to create some of these cultural shifts and that's important so it could so we can make change in that way but certainly it needs to come from the top down um but what we have also seen during covid like it's, it's been a real kind of trend in silicon valley i would say that that there have been demands for a shift and change, like coming from a grassroots perspective. And Mm. this is in the kind of wider business community, not just um, the legal world. And perhaps sometimes what I would see is that the legal world is lagging in in comparison to um, the the business world. But let's take, for example, like the social justice movement in the wake of George Floyd. Yeah. Really what we saw was pressure from grassroots like we need to shift we need to change and so lots of DE&I initiatives are springing up and um there's this two-pronged approach where it's um from the top down but also the grassroots and I do believe that um we can come together to advocate for change and um lots of organizations now will have um you know, junior focus groups and, and so on. So we can start with that self-advocacy. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of one view of looking at it. But if, if we were to kind of start from ourselves, I guess it is simply speaking up and saying sometimes and starting small, getting comfortable. Mm. But, um, hey, you want this by tomorrow at nine o'clock. Just want you to be aware that um, this will mean that this piece of work for this part, you know, I've got these four things on my plate. Where do you want this to come in the priorities? Mm. Um, does it mean that I need to reallocate? So asking those questions and you can, so it doesn't have to be like, nope, it's not going to happen, but it's, it's making that um, 
that manager aware this is my workload and so therefore my priorities will have to shift in order to accommodate that yeah um so therefore how would you suggest that I reallocate this Mm. yeah completely and I I totally agree with you that I think this isn't something that can be solved by just one element of, of the whole it has to be a collective effort one thing that I do think is interesting that I've been noticing a lot is that there seems to be quite a mass exodus of people at you know kind of like two to maybe four PQE who have done the work, stayed in the job, you know, completed the training contract, worked so hard, got great pay, great perks, great everything, but they're still really, really unhappy. And something that I hear quite commonly is like, well, I just don't know what's wrong with this. And I don't know where the next place is that I should be going. Like, I don't have any sense of direction. And I think something that has come up Um, for me when thinking about this is I wonder whether there's a bit here that's around a a bit of a lacking values exercise of people not having considered actually what's important to them before going into these environments and you hear this term a lot of um, desirable versus undesirable levers of law firms and desirable levers are the people that law firms are quite happy to let go of undesirable levers are the people law firms would really like to keep but they are losing And the number of undesirable levers is going up. And law firms typically have been throwing more and more money and more and more perks at the problem. Even through COVID, we've seen that happen too. There are salary wars all over the place. But it doesn't seem to be solving the problem. So how do you think that firms could solve the problem alternatively? I mean, I I think that that is a great question. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure it is something that... um, firms have spent quite a long time pondering and so let me address the the first component of that question which is why are people leaving and I Mm. totally agree with you that there is this values misalignment and this song do you remember that song um wear sunscreen and it was like (laughs) (laughs) Baslin. it was like (laughs) it was like um you know, some of the most interesting people at 40 didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. And that really resonates for me and my journey. But I also think that it's very true. People go into the legal profession. Hey, you'd be a great, you know, you're good at arguing with me. Yeah. The parents, why not become a lawyer? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so people, I guess, you know, you're 16 and maybe you've gone to do some work experience and you're like, okay, I'll become a lawyer. Or you watch this TV program, um, Ali McBeal and Legally Blonde for mm-hmm. me. <laughs> me too. And, and, uh, <laughs> so I, I just sometimes wonder if actually when we're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, we even know what it really requires to become a lawyer and is that actually fitting for me you're like okay that's a great career I'm going to make good money Mm -hmm. okay but we haven't truly connected yet to what our values are and what's important to us we haven't truly connected to what our talents are yet we haven't Mm. figured that that out and we haven't truly figured out our passions so it makes sense to me that people get to three four five years PQE and then like actually isn't this interesting I'm this entirely different person and so they go to pursue that and I think that that's okay Mm. and we're seeing um so many amazing legal tech companies that are launching um 
innovative law firms, boutique that have just totally different values that probably people go on to find found. So I, th I think that's great. Um, how do law firms stop this from happening? I think it's probably speaking to their people and understanding what is the gap? Why are you leaving? What yeah. could we do differently? How can we accommodate that? And I think a lot of people leave because there's lack of flexible work. There's lack of boundaries. Um, we've always done it this way. So we're not going to innovate. We're not going to listen yeah. to your voice. We're not going to take different perspectives. And so I think if you can start to listen to that feedback and then make adjustments as a result of that and change policies and procedures, then um, perhaps that's how we work mm. to solve some of this. I love that you've addressed that in in two ways, right? Because on the one hand, you've got actually sometimes it is just the right thing for people to leave. And it's perfectly okay to go into your career thinking you want to be a lawyer and then decide a few years later that actually that was great and you're glad you did it, but you want to do something else now. It's also perfectly okay for things to change. And that's something that law firms typically are quite resistant to, obviously, can be quite risk averse. But I do think COVID has been a brilliant opportunity for firms to realize that things can be done differently. And as you said, you've got legal tech companies, you've got boutique firms popping up, you've got lots of people working with consultancy platforms now rather than within a firm. So it's going to be a really interesting period of seeing, you know, how the legal industry does adapt to all of these different demands and requirements and technology advancements. I think it's a really interesting time to be in the industry from my perspective. Yeah, totally. Mm. I think as well, um, one thing that I have spotted recently, Kirkland and Ellis, mm. they have this amazing um, alumni program. So if you have ever been a lawyer at Kirkland and Ellis and then you go off into industry, even if it is not in a legal capacity, you always have access to their, um, they have they have different like career coaching um, services. And I think that is very, very smart because they mm. have recognized people are going to leave and people are going to go on perhaps to different firms, of course, but also they're going to go into industry. Maybe they're going to be in in-house counsel at yeah. wherever. And so that's going to help them to attract in business because they're taking care of their people, mm. past, present, future. And I think that that is very smart, mm. strategically. Yeah. Massively. Um, I didn't know they did that. Yeah. Mm. Super interesting. So, well, thanks so, for sharing that little yeah. nugget of information. I'm sure I'll have loads of listeners now being like, right, K&E training contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do I move in laterally to K&E? Um, right. I think that's a lovely place to, to end and move on to the rapid fires, if that's okay with you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. ready? And uh, yeah, let's go. Okay. Work-life balance means... Work-life balance means alignment most of the time. Oh, I like it. Okay. Can we just elaborate <laughs> on alignment elaborate. and what that means? I think that a lot of people get triggered by the word balance. Yes, It agreed. has to always be in perfect like, balance. Yeah. But also I really hate, 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 hate the phrase integration because I've mm. heard people and, and people are like, global say why not <laughs> just um walk on that treadmill and answer emails and 
or do a conference call while dropping off your kids and sometimes that's necessary in Mm. COVID and you know all of that but I think that being present and in alignment Mm -hmm. yeah don't like the integration word and yeah sounds to me like do everything all at once yeah yeah that's triggering for you which is uh, (laughs) on the path to burnout yeah exactly (laughs) and also like it's scientifically proven that we can only focus on one thing at a time this whole women can multitask men can't total myth no nobody can multitask effectively we can't do it it sounds like a path to head explosion and I just think that um where we can create alignment so I like to think of uh life or work work life is a as a pie and yeah. if you chop up that into like purpose um am I doing purposeful work am I able to manage my time am I making an impact am yeah. I able to innovate like but all of that is different depending on who you are and what's important to you so agreed I ruined your rapid fire no <laughs> I loved it I, lo- I like the pie analogy you can have like a bigger slice of one bit and a smaller slice of another yeah. and it's it's the whole concept of work-life balance means different things to different people, which is the whole point of this question. Okay, so if you could change one thing about the legal industry, what would it be? Um, there's so many things. I would say more innovative. <laughs> Actually, can I scrap that? Yeah. More self-aware, because I think that yeah. when we are more aware then we can recognize, okay, we should innovate in this space. We should, you know, we've seen the data on the DNI. We're aware of that. We're more mm-hmm. self-aware. Let's create policies to yeah. shift and change that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's a fuller answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Easy one. What are you reading at the moment? So I am reading a book called War Doctor, and Mm. it is the story of Dr. David Knotts, who is a trauma surgeon, and he has been to, you know, Syria, Aleppo, and right through to Sierra Leone, and, you know, it spans this period of 25 years going Mm. to war-torn countries and and helping people civilians on the ground um yeah that sounds fascinating yeah I have to read it there's something that has always fascinated me about um humanitarian work and trauma and helping people in you know lives that we just can't even imagine and you know when we talk about like first world problems and so on it's Mm -hmm. it really just strikes a chord, a chord. yeah yeah mm. okay I'm gonna read it sounds really good good <laughs> <laughs> okay what is one new hobby that you would love to try well I'm gonna tell you two new hobbies Cheap. number one all right <laughs> horse riding I like to go horse riding uh did it a lot when I was a kid but don't do it so often but typically I'll kind of like be like oh this one year I'm gonna go for a horse ride somewhere yeah. in the mountains and I, I just love that so I, I want to do that more frequently mm-hmm. so I'm gonna to commit to doing it once a quarter from now on great and then um I live very close to Santa Cruz and uh that's a big surf town and amazing I don't know if I, I would be a very good surfer because I'm a skier <laughs> so, so am I, 
my balance would be quite right. But... Yeah, I, I say so am I. I'm a terrible surfer, but it's really fun. I like the surf culture though. Yeah, it's amazing. It's quite cool. And, uh, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I might not be cool enough. So. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. not. <laughs> we can try right i might be more of a paddle up stand up paddle, stand up paddle yeah in the background watching yeah. all the cool surfers like Hello. yeah yeah <laughs> love it um okay one thing the world needs more of is kindness and compassion <laughs> it's interesting how similar the answer to that question always is it's mm. nice yeah and I um, think it's like, yeah, support, support for people mm. when they are in those dark moments of the soul that we all experience, being able to have someone that they can reach out to who can um, demonstrate that kindness and compassion and, and truly listen without trying to problem solve, I think is important. Very. One thing the world needs less of is judgment mm. judgy yeah. judgy judgy yeah judgment really serve anyone full stop <laughs> good <Yeah. laughs> money being no object what's one other career you would have loved to pursue I don't know if money would necessarily well uh I've changed my mind I was gonna say I, I was gonna say be an ER doctor yeah because that really interests me like we just talked about mm-hmm. however that would be more if my brain was different and if I could actually not be squeamish. Oh yeah. <laughs> so annoying that, isn't if was, it? If I was, uh, yeah, medically inclined, but um, maybe an artist as well, because mm. I love to paint and uh, so if money was no object, I would just uh, paint all day. Amazing. Are you good yeah. at painting? I get shy about showing my work. Yeah. <laughs> But I have got a goal there actually to do like um, I've got four paintings that I've done recently as part of a series and I want to get to eight and I'm going to go to my uh, local, uh, well, gallery or coffee shop where they have like them there. Yeah. Let's see if I can uh, sell one. Amazing. <laughs> I love that as a goal. That means you're good at painting if you think you could possibly sell them. It's really interesting. I was just thinking the other day, something I would love to do is something really creative but just for the sake of it, I am not mm-hmm. very creative. And I thought maybe I should try painting. So maybe I will. It's fun. Yeah. And I think I think that that's something that I've been, really been battling with. Like, is this good enough? Does it have you know? to be? And yeah, I don't think that it has to be. Mm-hmm. It's the act of yeah. enjoying doing it. And people sell loads of kind of crazy stuff. Yeah, like a dot so, on a piece of know? paper. Exactly. Just get exactly. meta about it. There yeah. you go. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, what's a quote or a saying that you love? There are always flowers for those that wish to see them. Mm. Henry Matisse. Beautiful. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think that I think that's a great nod to our perspective. Totally. And we can in the most difficult of circumstances yeah if we shift our perspective we can find gratitude and see things differently 100% so yeah yeah um what is one thing that you do to look after your well-being if there is hiking hiking Hiking. yeah I've seen that on the Instagram yeah 
it's all about hiking for me getting into those mountains and feeling in in awe and then feeling very small mm-hmm. which goes back to the other point <laughs> yeah and also changing your perspective right being higher yeah, exactly you look yeah. at the world in a different exactly way. exactly yeah, yeah love that I wish there were more mountains in London <laughs> okay there's two more one day that you'll never forget is saying goodbye to the UK, saying goodbye to my legal career and uh, starting again. Mm, I can imagine. <laughs> Big day, as I well know. I've just been through yeah, it, although it's not the exactly. UK that I've left. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the final one. One thing that you are most grateful for right now is my path Mm. and I would say going on this path has not been easy and is not easy for sure sometimes you might think it is easier to (laughs) have a regular job oh yeah all of the the comforts that come with that however I really do believe that entrepreneurship is this great opportunity for growth and learning and adventure and possibilities. And it's leaning into that limitless potential. I named my business mm-hmm. Limitless Lawyer because of that. And so I'm really grateful that I have got support. I've got great people around me and that I'm walking this path. Mm, that's amazing. And so if people want to find out more about that path and where it's taken you <laughs> and keep up to date with everything that you're doing, how can they do that? They can go to um, limitless-lawyer.com. And uh, yeah, that's my website. They can also find me on Instagram, which is limitless underscore lawyer. Um, very active on LinkedIn as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, so, you are yeah she's got one or two followers on LinkedIn I'm catching up (laughs) um thank you so much for your time today this was a great conversation and I'm going to link to all of those ways to connect with you in the show notes for people thanks so much thank you for having me on the podcast it was an honor (laughs) (laughs) take care we made it if you stayed to this point thank you and I really hope you enjoyed the episode please don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts it really helps and I'm always super grateful for your support you can stay tuned with all of the law life balance updates at www.law-lifebalance.co.uk including the show notes and links to all of my wonderful guests and if you particularly like today's guest do follow them through their channels and reach out if you want more information I'll see you back here soon for the next episode of the Law Life Balance podcast.